Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hofberg, and this is episode number 512. I just got back from a quick three-night cruise on Independence of the Seas and wanted to share some of my thoughts and experiences from the ship, including a couple things I did completely differently on Embarkation Day. Here we go. It's a little strange for me to have not gone on a cruise since June, but in this way that it works, I went on my first cruise since the... Well, really, it was the beginning of July. We disembarked in July. But you get the idea. You know, for myself, who's been going on cruises now, especially since the shutdown and cruise industry restarted, I'd really be going on a cruise about once every calendar month. And this is a longer gap. We went on the Royal Caribbean Blog Group Cruise on Navigator of the Seas, which you could have heard about in episode 503. But, you know, a lot has happened since then. My kids were on summer break. We did a nice little trip of the West Coast. School got back into session, and quite frankly, I was a little busy. So all that contributed to being a little bit of a gap since my last cruise. And this cruise that we booked, we booked it a little while ago, I want to say uh, four to six months ago, something in that ballpark, for a quick three-night Independence of the Seas cruise from Port Canaveral. Now, we live in Orlando, so the port is about an hour and some change away. Very convenient. And the nice thing about these weekend cruises is that because the port is so close and it goes on Friday to Monday, we can afford to let the kids go to school, and then pick them up early so they get credit for the day, so there's no absence required, and then go on the cruise, and then come back on Monday morning, and only one of my kids was late to school. The other one actually managed to make it on time. So it works out really well logistically. But there were a couple things that kind of happened during this cruise, especially on Embarkation Day. It was a very weird Embarkation Day, for me at least. And it's just kind of, I thought it was some good food for thought. I took a lot of photos along the way to kind of remind myself of these things. First of all, we didn't hit the road until about, I'm going to say about 12.30, I want to say. Uh, you know, the kids had to go into school, as I mentioned. And one of my kids had a test. So it precluded us from picking her up quite as early as it would have liked. So she has to stay a little bit later. Now, I'm used to getting to the cruise terminal at like 10 o'clock or so in the morning. So it's a bit of a change to go in that late. But you know, well, this three-night cruise... Uh, it was just us on the sail, and we didn't have any friends or family on board. So, you know, it's fine. We've been there, done that. Didn't really matter. But I got to admit, it was definitely eating at me. The longer it went, every minute we weren't leaving, it started to really get to me. And then I really felt it on the drive over. So as I mentioned, we're about an hour and some change away. But two things happened that made the trip a lot longer. Number one, we had, there was an accident on the highway. What was interesting is we were driving on the highway and you know the signs they have to indicate, you know, how long it is till this mile marker and whatnot. There was actually a sign that says, watch out for a vehicle driving in the wrong direction. I was like, okay. And then there was another sign that said, all lanes blocked a couple miles ahead. Uh, and then to compound the problem, it was torrential downpour. It's Florida. It's September. It happens quite often. In the afternoon, there is a torrential downpour. So, of course, I'm thinking two things. One... We had left at our usual time, and there would, we would have been there before the accident, and it wouldn't be raining. So, there, and, and that was kind of a hard mental process to get out of my head. So, we have that, and then we're thinking, well, shoot, what do we do? Do we go and wait in the traffic? You never know. Sometimes the traffic is not as bad, but all lanes blocked. That got to me, right? Google still said it was the fastest way. We always put in Google Maps, but I was leery of it. So, I told my wife, all right, let's do an alternate route which took us on a more northerly route. And between the fact that you're going on roads that aren't highways and to bypass all this, long story short, 
we did not get to the cruise terminal until just a few minutes before 2 p.m. That is really late for me. I never get there that late. Again, this is also why I talk about the fact that it's so important to stay near the cruise port the night before the cruise to avoid things like, I don't know, accidents on the highway. Now, granted, you know, we were, you know, our kids are in school. Number two, we live here. Number three, if we had totally missed the cruise because of all these things, it's a three-night cruise. The, these are a dime a dozen for us where we live. I am definitely spoiled, privileged to be able to have opportunities to cruise quite this often. So it wouldn't have, I would have been disappointed to me, right? I don't want to miss a cruise, but it would not have been the end of the world. That being said, we got there at two o'clock and I wasn't sure what to expect. I've never been there that late. Maybe one time I had been there that late for a completely different reason, but it's not the norm for me. So we get to Port Canaveral and number one, first thing I'm thinking about is the fact that Port Canaveral has had a real problem with parking lately. I remember when we were on Wonder of the Seas earlier this year, we got there super early, but we were watching from the ship, other people, you know, they, they were out of space in the parking garage and they were parking them all over the place. So I really didn't know what to expect. Now we got to the terminal, drop my, my strategy is always the same, drop my kids and the luggage off at the drop-off area and then go park the car. That way we're not lugging all that luggage into elevators and downstairs. It's just easier to do it that way. And the drop-off was really easy. There was not much of a backup there. Had we been arriving closer to probably noon or one o'clock, I think there would have been more of an issue there. And then to my surprise, they just directed me back into the parking garage. So I guess enough people had left at that point. I don't know how, that there were still a couple spots left. Granted, when I say a couple spots, there were literally only a couple spots. I had to go all the way up to the top of the deck, which is fine. Uh, parked the car there. I was happy not to be on a surface lot or somewhere else. I don't know, bust. I remember in Port Everglades that happened to me recently where I had to go take the bus over. We parked at another lot in the terminal somewhere else and they had to bus us over, which is not ideal. Anyway, the parking process was easy. Great. Then we decide, well, it's already two o'clock. The staterooms are definitely ready. We weren't sure what time they would be ready, but by two o'clock, the rooms are ready. So we decided to do something else different and not give the porters our bags. The reason being, there are actually two reasons why. My wife suggested, number one, that she didn't think it was a good idea because it was raining and she was worried the bags would be left out on the on the pier and they would get wet from the rain. But number two, I thought more importantly, you know, if you're giving your bags at two o'clock, that means you're gonna be like among the last bags to be delivered to the ship and I'd much rather have them now. We had small bags, three night crews, so it's not like we had a ton of luggage. So I thought, what the hey, let's bring the bags with us. So we go into the terminal. Good news is there's no line outside the terminal to get in. They didn't even bother checking our check-in time, even though our check-in time was back at like noon. They let us right in. We're, uh, this is actually my first cruise as a Pinnacle cruiser. And that means one of the benefits we get being a Pinnacle member is we get to go into the suite line. So even though we're not staying in a suite because we're Pinnacle, we get to go in that line, which is a really nice benefit. There wasn't much of a wait anyway, but you know, it's little things that matter. So we go in the line, go through security, put our luggage through, no problem at all. Port Canaveral is a very easy terminal to traverse. You go up. The check-in process was also easy. When you get into Port Canaveral, there is a separate area for sweet guests to the left. So when you get to the check-in counters, most people go to the right and you'll see all those check-in counter agents. This time we went to the left and they were actually kind of busy at the suite area. So they pushed us right away to the counter and instead of one of the people that's standing around with an iPad. And they checked us in there, no problem at all. I had done all the processes before. We all took our photos and selfies and uploaded our documents. So. The process for checking in was pretty simple. All she had to do was scan her passports, verify all the information, double check her health questionnaire, and we were good to go. And of course, by this point, obviously the ship is already boarding. So we got on board the ship and being on deck six, 
we were able to just simply walk with our bags to our room. The embarkation on deck, on Independence of the Seas is on deck four. So that means it's very easy to go from where you, you can carry your luggage to flights. That is like manageable. More than that, it gets to become more of a trek. Anyway, got to our room, dropped the bags off, and that was a really nice benefit. Again, it was kind of weird because it was two o'clock already. So, you know, we the, the kids were hungry, but I didn't necessarily want to go to the Windjammer for lunch, although actually I did go there later on. Now that I think about it. We started off at Sorrento's. So first of all, before I'm getting ahead of myself, we went and did the mustard drill really easy. No problem there. Then we went to Sorrento's, got the kids a slice of pizza. I went up to the Windjammer to get something to eat. My wife took the kids up to Adventure Ocean to sign them up. It was my first, uh, my, my oldest daughter was going to the teen club, youngest daughter going to Adventure Ocean. Easy peasy, got my food, and we were in and out of there. And at this point, then we're like, all right, we've done the most important things. And it was kind of interesting because we had an opportunity to get on the ship pretty quickly, get everything we needed, and it kind of worked out. But, you know, if I had gotten there earlier, we basically would have gotten on board the ship by about 11 or so. So really, we missed out on, you know, 12, one, about two or three hours of time on board the ship. Now, again, on a three-night cruise, that's a lot of time if you think about the grand scheme of things. But I would have preferred to have been on the ship than at home. But it just, but they, basically what I'm trying to say is there was a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety uh, getting there because of the traffic, because of the rain. And in Florida, the rain is not just rain. Sometimes it gets very difficult to see. So it was very much white knuckle driving. It was not an enjoyable experience necessarily. And that kind of added to a lot of frustration um, with the whole process. I wasn't mad at it. It was almost fault, but I was just annoyed by it. And when I got on board the ship, you know, it took me some time to kind of decompress, if that makes sense, because I was kind of, I felt under pressure from the entire experience. So it's kind of a different way to cruise, certainly, when we got there, but it, it ended all as well that ends well, and it was totally fine. A couple of things that we also did that were new to us. Number one, we went to the suite lounge. Again, we're not staying in a suite, but being a Pinnacle member, we do get access to the con to the suite lounge. And it was actually funny, we walked into the suite lounge, and the we have gold, when you're Pinnacle, you have a gold C-Pass card, no matter what. And the concierge was like, all right, what's your stateroom number? And we told him the number, which, of course, is a balcony room. It's not a suite. And he was like, oh, I, he thought we were confused and, like, we were in the wrong place. And we're like, no, 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 we're, we're Pinnacle. And he couldn't believe it because he thought we were too young looking to be a Pinnacle. So I guess it's a compliment. Um, but it was nice being, we only ever went up there that first, actually, that's not true. I think we went up there the second night. But we went up there the first night, and it was nice to have that little benefit. Again, being, I don't think anyone should cruise to get the Pinnacle status, but it was nice to have that kind of benefit there, it really didn't make a nice change. Over at Perfect Day at Kukuki, we tried something else new, which is we did a cabana on South Beach. We've been to South Beach before, we've never done a cabana over there. And for this sailing, the prices we found for cabanas were quite reasonable. If you've been following some of the pricing of Kukuki, some of the cabana prices have gotten, become outrageous, you know? But this one we got for $800, and we booked it, you know, three or four months ago. So that is basically what is $800 for a cabana at Perfect Day. Uh, is the old price, if you will, for cabanas. So at that price, it's a steal of a deal because you get obviously reserved space. You get your food delivered to you from the snack shack. You get added amenities like, of course, the uh, floating mats and bottled water. And of course, the service. You get a cabana attendant who comes over there and brings all these things to you. So you need a drink. They can do that for you. It's really nice with the family because there's shade. We don't have to worry about getting a seat. So that you can't get a seat. It's more competing for a seat more than anything else. But there's shade. There's the fan. There's an umbrella. It really works out quite well. And I really like the location. It was kind of weird because we took the tram. And the tram dropped us off 
basically by Breezy Bay. That was the first stop. Usually the first stop is South Beach, and then it's the Cocoa Beach Club, and then it's Breezy Bay. But for whatever reason, we skipped all those and went straight to Breezy Bay and then walked back. Not a big deal, but it is what it is. But the great thing was our cabin location, cabana location, excuse me, was excellent. It was like cabana 58, I think. So it was like the second or third cabana from when you walk into South Beach. And that meant that, first of all, you had a snack shack right next to us. And of course, that food is delivered to you by the cabana attendant. But a couple of times, my kids just wanted to go get something and they just walked back. It was a lot easier for them to do that quickly than to wait. Um, but it was a great location. What was interesting I didn't realize is the beach. So the where the cabana is, bunch of cabanas and there's uh, beach beds further down that beach is not quite quarantined off from other guests but it kind of is so it was a lot less crowded and that meant that we didn't have to first of all no one was like you know sitting in front of us between our cabana and the water that was really nice it's just it's a nice way to go for it and for eight hundred dollars for the four of us and by the way you can bring other people in there as well it's actually a really good deal and i really like that quite a bit do i like south beach cabanas over other locations you know, that's a really good question. I like the fact the Snack Shack was so close by. I think the issue with the uh, with, with with the area is that, you know, there's not as much to do. I mean, there's the floating bar, which is cool. And they have these nice little rings. I don't know how to explain these, but they're in the ocean and you can sit on them. I, I like the location quite a bit. Um, I, I think maybe you can make an argument that Chill Island is nicer, but I really did not mind these cabanas at all. Obviously, it's not a party zone. You don't have the Oasis Lagoon vibe that's going on there, but... For the money, I thought it was a very good value, and I really liked that quite a bit. And, you know, when you go to a cabana, things just, you know, make it a little bit easier and, and, and quite enjoyable, I gotta say. So, there was that. The last thing I tried that was new to me, of course, is the new Schooner Bar Menu. This is the kind of research that I do here for all of you at RoyalGreenBlog.com. Uh, there's a new Schooner Bar Menu that debuted earlier this summer, and I wanted to try it out. And there were a couple of new things on the menu. By far, the first thing I tried was the Peanut Butter Tropic which has the Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey, which I first got to try in the Mason Jar with the peanut butter uh, old-fashioned drink. And I love that drink. I tried it here. It was kind of weird because it comes out, it's, it's like yellow. It's like pineapple-y. And like, well, whiskey is not really yellow. But it was great. It was a great drink. I liked it. But I actually ended up liking a whole lot more. The Toasted Marshmallow Old-Fashioned, which again, I'm not a big, I've never ordered old-fashions otherwise. But, the, but this particular drink, I don't know. It just did it for me. Um, maybe it was the little, they actually take little marshmallows and they, they, they singe them, if you will, on the top. And then it, they present it to you. It's kind of like the peanut butter and jelly old fashioned with, instead of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it's marshmallows on top. It's only available, this, these drinks are only available at the schooner bar. Uh, and I, I ended up actually going there quite a bit to get these drinks. So, uh, it was, it was a very nice, uh, change of pace. And I, I enjoyed finding some new drinks that I liked. That's always fun. I didn't have a drink package on this cruise. I was relying on my pinnacle drinks which I get six drinks a day per person, which is really nice. And since I didn't really know anyone on board the ship, which is me and my family, I felt like, you know, there wasn't, really, there wasn't much of a party atmosphere necessarily for us. So we kind of took it easy, and that worked out really, really well. Um, you know, overall, we had a great time on the cruise. I also spent some time in the casino. Uh, good news, I got my prime status again. So what does that mean? In the casino, if you get accrue 2,500 points between... April 1st and March 31st, you get to the next tier in the casino status. There's a casino, there's a casino loyalty program that's separate from your Royal Caribbean loyalty program. And basically rewards you for obviously gambling. And that, by the way, is the nature of it's gambling. I would advise anybody listening that you shouldn't gamble for 
status, you should gamble because you can afford to, because it's a discretionary way to spend your money and whatnot. I just cruise a lot. I don't have to gamble a lot in one particular sailing. I can do it over the course of 10 cruises. You, It's not that hard to get 2,500 points because I cruise a lot. Anyway, uh, we were able to check that box off my list because I uh, pretty early on was able to get there. You can talk to the loyalty ambassador for the casino, the, the casino host, and they can advise you what your status is, what your points are at, how many more you need. They're actually really a helpful resource. And the nice thing about getting prime about in the casino, and again, I wouldn't say you should do it for this reason, but two really good things about getting prime. Number one, you get a free seven-night cruise in an inside cabin. And number two, you get free drinks to the casino all the time. As long as the casino bar is open, you can get drinks down there, which is really nice. So check that out on my list. But overall, it was a great three-night cruise. You know, weekend sailings are about just getting away for a little bit. Uh, you know, the downside of a three-night cruise is it is over before you know it. You know, you, you get on board and, you know, within 24 hours, your cruise is half over, essentially, right? Because I got on board at 2. At 2 p.m. the next day, we were at Cocoa Key, and it was already like, that, that. that's halfway through the cruise, you know? Kind of weird. So basically, by the time you get into cruise mode, I feel like day three, the cruise is basically over, but great way to augment your cruise experience. Like, I always tell people when they're new cruisers, like, don't book three-night cruises as your cruise vacation. Three-night cruises are great to augment your vacation. Like, you plan out longer sailings, whether seven-night, whatever, and then you kind of tack on three-nighters because you can make it work. Maybe you have uh, an airline credit or, I don't know, something that's kind of, you know, burning a hole in your pocket. I think that's a better use of three-night cruises as opposed to like, hey, let's plan our family vacations around three-night cruises. I mean, they are better than nothing, but I, I think because they're so short, it's, it's a little bit of a different vibe, and so I recommend doing longer sailings. But we had a very nice time on board. Glad to have done it. And, of course, uh, my next cruise is... I'm not waiting another two, three months for my next cruise going on. Serenade of the Seas, a Roseland blog group cruise in October out of Boston. We're going to have a lot of content here on the podcast about that because that's a new itinerary to me. Never sailed out of Boston. Never sailed to Canada and New England. So very excited for that one. And uh, we'll have to share some more here on the podcast. It's time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent me. You can always email me by sending emails to matt at royalcreamblog.com. Our first email is from Mike Scudero. Hey, Pat, given that the number of actual cruise ships have sunk in the past 100 years is somewhere around 10, depending on how you factor in examples generally accepted, why does a treaty entered into when William Taft was president still exist today? especially when airplane crashes are a greater risk mathematically. And despite the flight attendant instructions at the very beginning of a flight, very few people pay attention and none are forced to watch a video on their phone and have their app scanned or be forced off flight. So what give? Is it maybe time to update the treaty and make it clear that if you've done this, I don't know, 10 times by now, that neither you nor the cruise line you're sailing with are required to continue this tedious and ancient practice of the mustard drill. This is a really interesting question. I thought about this for a while before actually recording this, Mike. And I actually think the mandating the mustard drill still makes sense. And I understand where you're coming from. Trust me, as somebody who's taken 70 plus cruises myself, been there, done that, I can, you know, walk in my sleep to my mustard station. I understand how the mustard drill works. That being said, I would wager to say that if there are people out there who are listening to this and work with the general public regardless if it's in the travel industry or something else, I'm willing to assume that they will tell you that the general public, despite their, whatever they say, are usually very bad and wrong about many things. People claim, I don't think this is you, Mike, 
I'm saying there's a lot of people who claim to know what they're doing and don't know what they're doing. I, I really do believe this is the case. And so while I understand the sentiment of what you're saying, I think you bring up some interesting points, especially when you compare the cruise line safety drill to the airline safety briefing, uh, they, they're very different. I'm not going to argue on that. I still think at the end of the day, given that Royal Caribbean now has the e-muster drill, it's totally fine. If we were talking about the old school one, where you had to go to your like muster station and that like that, I would have probably gotten down that road with you a little bit more. But number one, I think the current e-muster is pretty easy to do. Number two, people claim to know what they're doing. I really don't think many people know what they're doing. There are some that do, but you gotta play the lowest common denominator. And so for that reason, I'm actually gonna disagree with you, Mike, but the very apt observation. Next, we have an email from someone else named Mike, Mike from Pennsylvania. Hi, Matt. Just started listening to your podcast. I'm learning a lot. Thanks for the great work. In your opinion, what are the best apps or websites to use to monitor your price drops for specific cruises? I'm not looking for apps or websites that will inundate you with every cruise from every line. I like to be able to track specific cruises from specific cruise lines. Uh, thank you for the email, Mike. Unfortunately, there's nothing I recommend. I know there are some websites out there. Is Cruise Plum still a thing? I don't know. Uh, here's the thing, Mike. There isn't one that I recommend. I don't think any of them are great. In most cases, the best case scenario you could get is a specific category. Like if there's a price drop, you know, for any suite, not necessarily a grand suite or a junior suite or a royal suite, right? They don't work well. Honestly, the tried and true method still is a mock booking. Going to Rover website, pretending to be booking a new cruise and seeing if the price is different. It's not ideal. It would be great if that was an option. In fact, once upon a time, I looked at this to create an app or something to track price tracking. The problem is the data. There is not an available data source that I could find that's publicly available or even, even for a cost that you can get that kind of data. You need to be like basically like this like mega travel agency in order to get access to this data. And even then I went down this path looking for it, wasn't available. So suffice to say, there isn't really one that I recommend. And if you're looking to get a price drop tracking, it's honestly the best one is still a mock booking periodically. So I put that out there, Mike. Thanks for the email. Next, we have an email from Jimmy. Hi, Matt. I'm cruising in September on Oasis of the Seas from New Jersey and heard your podcast a few weeks ago and went back to listen again. What you said was that someone could get upgraded on the ship if they reached the next level to be done for their next cruise, which was a back to back. But on my cruise, all of it was time to move to Diamond four days into the cruise. So can I get upgraded for the rest of my cruise or do I have to wait till my next sailing? Uh, the answer is you have to wait till your next sailing. So what I meant when I was talking about that, you're right. That's really if you have consecutive cruises. But if you turn status within the same sailing, no, you don't get it for the rest of the sailings for your next cruise thereafter. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news there, Jimmy. Next, we have an email from Edward. Hey, it's Ed. Hi, Matt. I'm suddenly moving along my binge of thought on your earlier episodes. I just passed episode 168, where you and Michael Poole were discussing your ideas of what was then called Project Icon and was it going to entail once it actually got built into a ship now that we know it's coming in January. What might be an interesting idea for a future episode, now that we know most of what's going on, is to compare Icon of the Seas and contrasting it and what you thought it was going to be back in 2016 versus what ended up happening. I think it's a great idea. Uh, it's, I wish I had like an intern or somebody to go and get all the notes there. It seems like a lot of work for it, but uh, I think it would be kind of cool because I mean, I'm. let me tell you something yet. I've learned one thing about myself during this whole podcast, RollerCreamBlog.com. I am usually very wrong about predictions and what the future may hold. And I, I just, I, I can't say how many times I've been wrong about what Royal Caribbean may do in the future. So 
I suffice to say, the spoiler for that episode would be I was wrong on everything. Uh, next, we have an email from Tina Sullivan. Hi, Matt. I hope you could give me a couple of answers to questions I have. We're going on Harmony of the Sea. My youngest son is going with us, a thing in his own room. He'll be 21 at the time of the cruise. My concern is if he finds friends to hang out with, especially female, how can he verify they're over 18? Is he allowed to ask the front desk or bartender to scan the C-Pass card and check their age, or do passengers over the age of 18 have a different color C-Pass card? I'm trying to protect him from angry parents who may have a 16-year-old hanging out with a 21-year-old, but he was told by the 16-year-old they were 18. This is an interesting question. I thought about this. So on a minor's C-Pass card, when you look at the top of it, there is an indication. You'll see a large M above their name, and that indicates they're a minor. That's the that's a visual cue. You can't ask the bartender or the front desk for that information. It's personal information. They can't give that out, even if that person is standing right next to you. So I understand where you're coming from on that. It's a smart, smart theory. Uh, but look at their CPAS card, because if they're under 18, they will have an M over their name. I, I know this because my kids have it on their CPAS card. Second question, my husband does not drink, so I called the Royal Caribbean, and they gave me the exception to buy the alcohol package, and my husband get the refresher package. Since our son will be turning 21, can my husband still buy an alcohol drink to give to our son, or will his CPAS card restrict him from purchasing any alcohol? Good question. And the answer is you can definitely buy alcohol a la carte, no problem at all. Thank you for the email, Tina. Next email is coming to us from James Greg from Kansas City. James appeared in episode 401. I love your show and appreciate the never-ending advice you give out. I have an upcoming cruise on Allure this season. It'll be my first as a Diamond member, and I'm looking forward to the perks. Could you please use your infinite Royal Caribbean wisdom to answer a couple questions for me? Number one, where can I get a margarita on the rocks, on board, that is high quality and not made with a sugary drink mix? Ooh, this is a tough one. Because they use the mix for, like, everything. I'm not even sure. Maybe Boleros? I mean... I don't know that you can get a margarita that doesn't come out of a mix on Royal Caribbean. I could be wrong on this. Um, actually, I am wrong on this. I just remembered. Allure of the Seas, Sabor. So Sabor is the exception, and there is still Sabor on your ship. Go to Sabor. They will make you the best handcrafted margarita you're going to find on any Royal Caribbean ship. It, there's very few of them. I, I, always, I forgot that Sabor was still on Allure, so definitely go to Sabor and the boardwalk. Number two, I have a family of four. Should I pre-book an internet package for seven days, or is it possible to use the four diamond one-day vouchers at first a couple days of access in addition? Thank you, Oak Creek Sultan of the Seas. You can't use the diamond thing. The problem with the diamond package is you can't do it for one day. I mean, you can, I guess, use it for one day. You purchase them. I mean, you buy the, the one-device internet package, and there's a 24-hour pass. You could do that. That would be an option for you. Granted, you have to keep, you know, doing it for every single person. So it'd be like this, like, you know, one day or using your C-Pass card, the next day, one of your kids, so forth and so on. That could work. I mean, I think, you know, obviously pre-purchasing is uh, simpler and easier, but if your goal is like, I just need four days and I don't care about the other three, then you could do that. That would be an option. You just have to keep, you know, you have to create four different accounts on four different days. More of the house than learn anything else, but hey, price is right. So you could certainly do that. Next, we have an email from... Uh, Jenny, hi Matt, I'm booked on a Western Caribbean cruise on Mariner this season, first week of December. So I've been doing a ton of research and your blogs, blogs, and podcasts have been a huge help. So thank you. I just listened to your podcast episode about getting COVID on your Alaska cruise. Very informative. So thank you for sharing your experience. It was interesting because it seemed like after taking your at-home test, there was a clear advantage to calling medical. Doctor comes up to visit and gives free meds, free room service, quarantine reimbursements after you do some work, etc. I also noticed, however, that this is from June of 2022. 
you know if anything similar would happen in December of 2023? I tried checking out the website, but it only talked about COVID refund policy, which sounded like it ended in May of 23. And Jenny, you're absolutely right. Uh, that is very different. And the policy is different today than it was back then. Quite frankly, I don't know. You're not getting reimbursements like you did back then. There were there was a government mandated uh, quarantines and that kind of thing. And today it's totally different. So while I don't have personal experience to draw on in, in what happens when you get COVID in 2023, at the very least, you're not going to get reimbursed by the cruise line for hotel stays, missed time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, um, you know, depending on what medication you have on board, I think there is value in still calling down. Because number one, you know, if you're sick, regardless of what you have, I think it's your duty as a obligation, I should say, as a human being or your other fellow human beings, not to walk around the ship and spread it around, whether it's the flu or COVID or what have you. That being said, when I was there, we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have any medication. I think all my wife was Tylenol and I felt like, yeah, I just was, I was miserable. I felt terrible. So when I decided to call medical, it was, I was looking at it as a relief, like, please give me something to deal with it. And luckily they did. And that really was a, a big, big help there. Um, I, I don't know what the policy is in terms of quarantine. I don't know if they keep you in your room. I don't believe, and I don't know this, I, sh I shouldn't even say this. I don't know what the policy is in terms of what the quarantine is. So I can't, I don't want to mislead anybody. And I don't want to give anybody any false information out there. So I simply don't know what it is. But, you know, whether you get sick from norovirus or COVID or whatever else that's out there, those are always, those are always risks involved in travel. And that's not just cruise line, by the way. You can get that going anywhere. So it's a, it's a possibility. Um, and I suspect that if that were to be the case, you know, there'd be, you know, number one, you want to take care of yourself, right? And if you pack a pharmacy in your suitcase and you're okay, just sitting in your room and order a room service, that's fine there. Um, I mean, at the, at the very least, I would imagine if they are quarantining you, that room service would be provided for you. I just don't know what the official policy is because to your point, Jenny, it's not listed anywhere. And Jenny has one more question. I know you recommend getting back to ship two hours prior to gangway up, but what about in Coco Key? Seems like you could reasonably cut it much closer on the private island. Yes, I agree. I mean, you get back, geez. I've always said this, I haven't put it to the test. I don't think you get left behind in Coco Key. I think it's almost impossible. Cause I don't know where you'd hide, quite frankly. But anyway, that being said, um, no, you get back, gosh, half an hour beforehand. I mean, I've done that where I've been back on board, you know, less than half an hour before the all aboard time. Because again, there's no buses or taxis required. You can simply walk. There are crew members everywhere. Um, no, I would not recommend getting back to the ship two hours before at Kokuki, other than unless you want to beat the crowd back. That's the only real compelling reason to do that, Jenny. So thank you for the email. It's time for one more email, and that is coming to us from Christy. Uh, Christy Dale, excuse me. I recently started following you when I've come across a podcast on kids on cruises. In April, we were on a different cruise line, and sadly, it was spring break, but we did not realize it because it was mid-April and we thought it had cleared it. None of us have young children. All of our children are grown and out of the house. I don't mind kids on a cruise, but these kids were unruly. They were running up and down the hallways anywhere between 11 o'clock at night and 4 in the morning, knocking on doors and running away, screaming, and they go up in the observation lounge and just trash it, food all over the floor, all the plates and dishes and cups, take it out of the trays that were set up on the counter for use. Running out of control. I got knocked down and then almost knocked down two more times from kids not looking where they were going and running smack into me. Mind you, I'm almost 60 years old and pretty frail. The cruise line we were on did absolutely nothing. And like I said, we thought we had passed by spring break booking mid-April, something we'll definitely watch out for in the future. 
We'll be on Adventure this season, November 10th. We're really looking forward to that. Really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. Christy, I'm sorry to hear you had a negative experience there. I mean, there could be all sorts of, you know, issues with people. And people are people. You never know. I was on Independence of the Seas, as I mentioned, and there was an issue actually in the pub where there was a group of gentlemen, and these were adults, who were vaping, and they thought they were being quiet about it or hiding it. Number one, I don't care if you're hiding it or not. You're vaping in a non-smoking area. That's disrespectful to everybody around you. Not to mention, I don't want to inhale your vape no matter what's in it. Like, if I'm going to do that in the casino, I understand the risks involved because I'm in the casino and I, I understand that. In the pub, it's a different thing. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that there are guests that can misbehave for all sorts of variety of reasons and at all ages. And it's not the norm, it's the exception, but hopefully, Christy, when you go on your cruise, you won't have an issue there. Thank you, everybody, for checking out this episode of the World Command Blog Podcast. If you can email me your questions, you can always do so by saying to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.